Paleo Hackers, how you doing today? With me on the other end is my man, Gennar Lovelace, founder of the Thrive Market Online. They're killing it right now. They got tons of products that you can order for discounted prices. Uh, before I go into a commercial, Gennar, thanks for coming on, man. Hey, buddy. It's great to be here with you and uh, excited to have a little chat. Little chat, man. We were just talking before the call about kind of where we wanted to go with this. And uh, I think we got a cool, cool few talking points. It was really fascinating to dive into this topic of health which has so many different branches coming off it you know you got the environmental branch you got the political branch you got the uh, sustainable branch you got the health branch i mean there's so many ways you can take this so kind of i guess a first warm-up question for you is is what is this whole uh all-encompassing term of health like what does it mean to you why are you so interested in it yeah i mean i think for me personally it's a very personal topic and that i've been exposed to it my whole life through through my mother, so, you know, she was very passionate about health and wellness, and at, you know, kind of seeing her struggles as a single mom, and then you know, always feeling like there was a way to, um, you know, that, that there was a huge need to make health and wellness accessible to people, and that it it really shouldn't be as hard or as expensive as it is, and so that's always in, in the back of my mind has always been like how how can this be done a different way. And that's, you know, that's been a burning question throughout my life. So you grew up single mom. Did she focus primarily on health? I mean, she personally, uh, you know, she's just been very passionate about it her whole life. So it was, you know, it was really central to her understanding. And, you know, it was, it wasn't like she tried a lot of different diets and modalities, but it was always like, you know, eat healthy, eat organic. um, And, and, you know, that's always been more expensive for people to do and and when you grow up with tight finances that obviously you know that you know you have to make that hard choice you know do i buy the conventional product which is you know 30 to 50 percent less or do i buy the thing that's organic and that's been a question that you know the 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 this market has faced for a long time how much is the extra two dollars really benefiting you when you buy spinach you know what i mean exactly yeah, and so you picked up some good eating habits, it sounds like, and good priorities from your mom and good connotations through food. A lot of people don't. They have the opposite. You know, they grow up with fast food, Wendy's, McDonald's, Burger King, and that's their reward. That's their drive through. So what you're saying is kind of rubs off on you, and now, now you're in it, and now you're exploring that for yourself. So I guess the natural follow-up to that is kind of what's the mission then behind the work you do currently? I mean, our mission is to make healthy living accessible to everybody. And, and so, you know, I think what's interesting about that, as we kind of talked earlier, you know, in the, in the pre-conversation on the call is, you know, what does that mean? You know, you now have this mass secular trend where people of all walks of life, all political affiliations are interested in health and wellness. You know, you have, you know, the, the you know, a lot of the conversation points, a lot of the products and a lot of the supply chain was initially developed out of, you know, quite frankly, out of the hippie market, you know, a bunch of counterculture folks that were, you know, experimenting with sprouting or, or, you know, simple foods or whatever it is. And that has grown up over the last, you know, 40 years as this really diverse market that is appealing to a lot of different people. And personally, what I find so exciting about that is that it's, you know, in a, in, a, in a climate where things are so polarized, you know, you turn on the news and it's like, 
the, the, the liberals and the conservatives yelling and screaming at each other. And there's gridlock in Washington and nobody can like, nobody can get anything done. And it's just kind of like, it's just expected that people are at each other's throats all the time in every conversation that has anything to do with politics, social issues, the environment. Yeah. And, and what's so exciting for me personally about health and wellness is that it actually transcends so many of those conversations. It affects so many positive things, but you don't have to even necessarily talk about them just by helping people get healthy, people moving towards a healthy lifestyle, people moving away from toxic conventional food and shifting towards organic and regenerative, you know, food supply chains, products, buying, you know, from local farmers, you know, and buying organic food. Like that has so many virtuous cycles and it transcends the normal polarization that I think is really, you know, really a challenge for us. Sure. Yeah, focusing on the similarities of we all want to be healthy, we all want the same things, ultimately in the end of life, to feel good, to share that with others, right. and, and instead of the differences right. which pull us apart, right. like I am in camp conservative, I am in camp democrat, or I am in camp this religion, this school, this city, this whatever. Um, and yeah, it's a really uniting thing, but it's also also a divisive thing at some times. And, and one of my biggest pet peeves in this movement is that... Uh, the vegans or the paleos or the whatever camp you subscribe to and you get dogmatic about it and everyone or the crossfitters you know or the bodybuilding you know and, and you want everyone to come to your lifestyle because you think it's the healthiest of, that's why you chose it and so it's that us versus uh, them mentality once again so the thing that was supposed to unite us is now dividing us if we focus on the differences i think that's on the margin though really i think i think that's I mean, it's, it's definitely a valid conversation point. Um, and I think there's, there's, I mean, there's legitimately people, like you say that, you know, the vegans get all agitated about, you know, the, 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 the meat consumption among the paleo community and, and the, the, you know, the paleo community says the vegans are crazy for their consumption of soy and processed foods or whatever it is. I mean, I, I personally, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, very paleo in my orientation, uh, my girlfriend is rabidly vegan, so you know it's. I live that dynamic. I'm fully aware of you know, like there, we've we've had probably our most difficult conversations yeah. around that exact topic. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's like that's just on the margin. You know, it's a small amount of people that are that passionate about that issue. And when you think about the real, the big trend that's happening, even in the paleo community, for example. You look at the people who listen to and are part of and exploring the conversation of paleo foods, it's it's like it's moms and it's women and yeah, they're really passionate about these issues, but they're also very practical and they're like, How do I take care of myself? How do I look better? How do I feel better? They're not they're not like rabid ideologues about this issue. Like, you know, the people that are making, you know, really intense statements about vegan or paleo you know, they're, they're on the margin and it's actually, you know, that's important that their voices are there. But I think when you think about the real shift and awareness towards health and wellness, it's a conversation that everybody's having at some level or another. And I I think, you know, I think it's, I think it's, um, I think, I, I mean, I think, I think it's, you know, there's many different aspects to it, obviously. It's, it seems like the general pop, it was what you're saying. What I agree with is that they're, 
uh, the moms, the people going about their day-to-day lives that want to be healthy and feel good, and they focus on, hey, paleo makes me feel good. Hey, veganism makes me feel good. And they're not that, you know, vegangelical about it. Some people call it, you know, with the signs out there, meat is murder. They just go about it on their own thing. But squeaky wheel gets the grease, and then the loud people start blogs or podcasts or whatever, and, and they do the preaching, and then people want to follow them, and it creates this tension. But, you know, we could go down that rabbit hole of, of what's negative about it. But to focus, I guess, on the positive of how it unites everyone. Um, so set it up. What are you doing at Thrive Market? What's kind of set it up for the person listening right now who's never heard of it? Yeah, so at a very simple level, we're offering the, the top brands and products that you would get at a traditional retail channel, traditional health food store, 25 to 50% off, shipped nationally for free. And uh, we do that through a membership model. So we literally break even on the product sales, and instead we charge $60 a year after a trial month, like a Costco membership. Um, And then for every paid membership, we give away a membership to a family in need. So our, our, our business is aimed at truly making these previously premium products available to people at a price that they can afford. Uh, we're offering you know, natural and organic products at the same price as conventional ones for the first time in history in a very curated environment. So it's not you know, 50,000 products. You, know, you go into like a, a Whole Foods or another type of store like that, and you know, there's like 500 almond butters, and there's yeah. you know, 200 chips, and there's you know, like, what does that all mean? And what, well, who are these people and why should I care? And it, like, it's just, there's so much information. So our focus is to make these products available, you know, to really pick the best products and make them available, but also to, uh, also to really make a curated selection so that it's easy for people to find the things that they want. They can sort the entire catalog by paleo or vegan or gluten-free or, fair trade or whatever it is, the criteria are that they're personally motivated by and interested in and, you know, get the things that they want quickly, get at them and, and make it easy and convenient. And I think, you know, you basically we're creating a format where people can, you know, go online, they can shop, you know, direct to consumer. Um, and what we're doing is we're cutting out all the intermediaries, you know, whether it's, you know, all the middlemen that are normally in the supply chain, we're cutting them out and passing that savings along to our members. Right. Okay. And so the people go on there and they get it straight to their door. It's cutting the middleman out. And then also what you said, which is really important, is kind of the option of overwhelm is reduced because I was talking to uh, Josh Trent on the call um, yesterday or something. I was doing a call with him and we were talking about kind of you know the paradox of choice where you're st- sitting in Whole Foods aisle 7 and you're looking at 50 different almond butters and they all virtually do the same thing they're all almond butters but then you start comparing labels and you start looking at fat content and protein ratios and it's just 30 minutes later you haven't chosen an almond butter and right. you scratch your head and you think was 30 minutes of my day really worth finding this best almond butter no i mean it, it, you know it's not night and day between almond butter a and almond butter b they're freaking almond butters yeah. And so it sounds like, have you guys like reduced the choice aspect and, yeah. and just chosen the best one oh, so they don't have yeah. to be scratching their head for almond butter? That's it. For us, it's best in category. So we, we try to have very little overlap in terms of category. So it's, you know, instead of, you know, 200 almond butters, it's like two almond butters. And we do that across, you know, our main product categories. 
Um, so that's for us, that's, you know, that's central to the value prop. You know, there's so much noise. People have so little time. They don't know who to trust. And so, you know, we want to be known as a trusted source that makes it easy, lowers the price and offers these previously premium products for less online. So you brought up some things, and that is the two most common excuses people seem to have when it comes to health. And that is, I don't have the time, and I don't have the money. Yeah. So let's tackle that second one. What do you say to people who use uh, the excuse or, or the valid point that they don't have the money? I mean, health can be expensive. Gym memberships cost things, or organic food is obviously more than others. You know, you go to Whole Foods, your bill's $400 compared to 100 at a normal store. Like, what are some... What what are your thoughts on that? Saying I don't have the money. Well, I, I think I think there's one uh, aside from the self serving uh, statement that you can actually afford these products now at Thrive Market, uh, which is true. Um, I think that the more important conversation is that you know when we think about the arc of our lives and we think about the you know the quality of life that we want to have, the energy that we want to bring to our life, uh, the quality of life that we want for our children the world that we want to inherit, just even more practically, how much money are we going to spend on doctors and medicine and reactive uh, you know, health protocols if we, if we choose to eat toxic, processed, conventional food versus organic food? Like just that alone, like we, people say they can't afford to eat healthy. The practical reality is we can't afford not to eat healthy. And that, that just takes a little bit of a shift. You know, we're all so trained now with all tech, everything that's, you know, moving so fast, technology, rapid iteration, we're just fed, you know, our whole training is, you know, how, how, you know, what's the next step? What do I need? How fast? How do I say? And we don't think a lot about, you know, culturally at this point, we're, we're not thinking ahead very often. I mean, five years, 10 years, 20 years, like, you know, you know, people just don't think about that very often in a way that's like practical and grounded in their day-to-day decision. So I think I think I think it's really about you know I think it's I think it's about recognizing that you know we're we're going to be alive for a period of time you know might be short might be longer but you know whatever the increment of time is the practical reality is is if we don't actually invest in ourselves we're actually going to spend more money than we would if you know if we didn't invest yeah. in ourselves yeah we're living longer than ever now and and you know I was just thinking about that too in terms of retirement and. Talking to my dad coming up on retirement, and you know he's he's thinking like, man, I got a I got a lot of my life left if I'm going to live to be I don't know in in my 90s or even 80s, and you got to make your money count, and you got to save early and let it compound. It's kind of like health too, you know. When you look at investment books and they say the younger you start, the better off you are later on. It's kind of like with health, you know, the younger you start, the less taxes you put on your body, the less. Um, use you you go through the less you know metabolic stress you put it through the better off you're going to be in the long term and so it is it is though you bring up an interesting point about that long term mindset and that's very hard in our culture today of instant gratification of excess of all that stuff um, so what you're saying then is we got to be thinking about the long term and not so much the short term and in doing so we can prioritize and spend our money accordingly. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one. That's one conversation point, right? That that's just kind of the macro. I think there's more immediate things, which are like, you know, there are really practical, simple ways to make the healthy choice for less. So it's you know, using whole ingredients, you know, buying from a local farmer at farmers markets, 
um, you know, participating in Thrive Market for the, the, the food that isn't fresh that you want, you know, your staples and your pantries and your cleaning supplies, which you can now buy for the same price as conventional ones, or it's shopping at a Trader Joe's locally. I mean, there's, there's ways to like intelligently triage this. You know, it, it takes some thoughtfulness. It takes intent. You know, if, if we're just doing what we're used to doing or what's being spoon-fed to us by the mainstream traditional culture – you know, we're going to end up with a result where we have to make the traditional decision, which is, do I buy conventional food for less or do I buy organic food for more? And that's, 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 you know, that's, that's the decision that will be made unless we put a little bit of intent and time and thoughtfulness and making other decisions. Where should the person who's on a really tight budget spend their money first? I mean, I think it depends on where they're located. You know, if they're in a, if they're, you know, like there's, there's over 10,000 farmers markets and CSAs nas- nationally now. So, you know, that to me is, I think, one of the most interesting trends. You know, farmers markets and CSAs have more than tripled in the last six years in terms of the, the amount of them in this country. So, we're, one of the things we're doing is we're launching the largest directory of farmers markets and CSAs in the fall so we can help people connect with and support local farmers hmm. by truly nutrient-dense, truly fresh food from farmers for less money, keeping money in the lo- you know, local supply chain. I think, that's, I think that's a really, really important trend that we need to, with our dollars, we need to vote that way. It's crazy that we buy produce that's been shipped across this country. You know, the average, average vegetable has been shipped like 5,000 miles. And, you know, because it gets shipped from the farm to a distribution center to another location to yeah. to the final retail location. And, you know, the, the, the actual quality of that food is so degraded by the time it actually arrives in a consumer's hand, you know. And so I think I think, you know, or how about how about one better? They ship it raw or or not ripe and they gas ripen it or whatever in, in, totally. in the carts. Yeah. Totally. Or, or 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 it's engineered, you know, with GMOs. And, sure. and uh, sprayed with, you know, all sorts of shit along the process that, you know, you know, I, defends it against bugs and or, yeah. you know, makes it withstand, as you said, that kind of un- unripened travel ripening process. Uh, so I think I think there's a lot of different dynamics there. But I think I think I think fundamentally it's like really recognizing that we're voting with our dollars when we buy things, we are voting with our dollars and we are making a we are making a decision whether we're aware of it or not to support a conventional obsolete supply chain or we're participating in a new model that's better for us and better for the better for the economy and better for the environment it is amazing though when you look at your apple and you see the sticker on it and you're like where was this from and you realize it's from new zealand you know and and to think about this apple that cost me okay 75 cents so somewhere along that way, it's worth enough profit to ship it for seventy-five cents that I'm paying it for. You know, like how much profit are they really making on an apple? I mean, twenty cents, thirty cents, forty cents, right. and it, they do that on such a massive level right now that it's so profitable to ship an apple from New Zealand all the way to Seattle, That's right. and I can eat it for seventy cents. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. So that just kind of shows how the system's currently the system. You know, anytime you say that, you're a conspiracy theorist. The system set up in a way that it's so mass produced right now, and if we can kind of cut down what we, we were saying, like the middleman, and go direct. Okay, now you don't have to pay seventy cents for an apple for someone to get forty cents in New Zealand. You can pay fifty cents for an apple, and someone gets 
50 cents of that from their farm. Yeah, I mean, or maybe it costs 70 cents. Maybe it's the same price as the conventional apple, but it's the same price, right? So you can go to a farmer's market and you can buy that organic apple direct from a farmer for 70 cents. And that, to me, is a, is a really great solution. That means that if the farmer, you know, we're supporting a local farming economy. The farmer is getting a good quality of life. And that instead of participating in this complex global supply chain with all the carbon emissions and toxic pesticides and herbicides, we're buying direct, locally, truly fresh food from a local farmer at the same price, and we're voting with our dollars. And it's really that simple. And they can sell less, too, because what people don't realize, I didn't realize until I started getting into the wholesaling business, researching uh, different wholesale and retail methods and stuff like that, is there's always a profit margin of, I don't know, in retail, it's normally 50%. So if I'm selling a shirt at at Nordstrom's for $20, well, the wholesaler sold it them for $10 because they're not going to do anything that doesn't make 50%. So that basically means that the seller is making $10 a shirt, but then you got cost in that. So it's really $5 a shirt. Well, when you go direct and you pay the farmer, let's just use a shirt example, $20 for that shirt that cost him five, instead of a $5 profit margin, he's making a $15 profit margin. So now you can sell you know, three, four times less and still get the same amount you would have with conventional, right. which is why that direct to farmer relationship is so important. Yeah, and I, I think that really cuts to a really interesting question, which is, you know, why is it that products with lots of chemicals and processing cost less than ones with no chemicals and processing, right? That's really like the big question here. And the, and the real reason is that, you know, as you mentioned earlier, you've got a supply chain where companies have achieved economies of scale, meaning they're sold everywhere. So they're operating at such scale that they can afford yeah. to ship you know, the apple from New Zealand and sell it for 75 cents through a bunch of different in- intermediaries. And it still makes economic sense in a very distorted economic model. And so you have got the reason that products with lots of chemicals and processing cost less is you've got, you know, economies of scale and you've got corporate welfare. And so there's all of these unknown, you know, corporate subsidies, externalized profit, uh, you know, mechanisms which are being or which are subsidizing uh, the conventional food supply system, and and the real issue is how do we again go back to that really proactive thing? How do we make a proactive stand for ourselves and for a higher quality of life, a better environment, a better economy? How do we consciously vote with our dollars and we make the real deliberate decision? To take a little bit of extra time, go to a farmer's market, you know, find other ways to buy these products for less and 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 actually support conscious companies and conscious farmers that are you know and, and I, to your point when when you go direct it can be done at much lower scale and still provide the you know can still be accessed at a similar price as a conventional one uh, and it has some margin that allows the supplier to be able to actually make a, a quality life do you think we can do both models at the same time? Because as much as I love that direct to consumer, you know, supporting local farmers, farmers markets and stuff like that, I not gonna lie, I do love in December when it's snowing in Seattle, going and getting bananas year round. I yeah. mean, I like it. Yeah. It's good. I can throw it in my shakes, yeah. my smoothies. Totally. I mean, that's cool. And that wouldn't exist if I went direct to my farmers. Yeah. I mean, I'd be limited to beets and carrots in the winter. Right. You know what I mean? In yeah. Seattle, that's it just right. doesn't I, I, grow. Like, it's not about. I think it's. I think recognizing we're in a global economy 
Um, you know, I think I think it's I think there's there's no way that the bananas are going away. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we 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 benefit from a world that can transport things cheaply through a petroleum-based economy. And, you know, so that's just what's happening, right? So I think I don't I think it's I think it's, you know, we have to we have to do our best. And at the end of the day, you know, we we're all we're very self-interested. So we want our bananas in the winter. And yeah. and that's you know, that's just the reality of where we are where we're at. And and there's nothing wrong with that. We just have to be we have to wherever we can, we do need to make the the incremental substantive decision to be part of a new paradigm of consumer behavior and and recognize where we're not and and then you know continue to challenge ourselves to find ways to do that better all the time i think that's kind of what whole foods is doing to a certain extent um and and mixing the best of both worlds they do a lot of i know some some people in this space say they're the best thing ever others say they're kind of like the organic walmart um, there's a lot of mixed views on on Whole Foods out there, but what's your thoughts on Whole Foods? I mean, I think Whole Foods has been. I think it, I think they've really helped the industry in a lot lot of ways. I think they've been, you know, they've helped a lot of small suppliers and farmers, uh, you know, actually, you know, creating certain types of standards and 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 actual economies of scale, and really helped create a, a, a consolidated channel. That was a place for a lot of these natural products and organic products to find a home and to find consumers, and I think that's you know that's that's been really really beneficial. I think that's been really really important. You know, when I when I when I was growing up, and I'm not that much older than you. I think maybe a ten or ten or fifteen years older than you. You know, there was you know very very few Whole Foods. It was like a bunch of little you know hippie based little health food stores. You know, there was like very, it was just, it was just small time. Right. And so it's been really good for, it's been good for this economy of organic products and the suppliers to have a really scalable channel to like, you know, put their stuff into it. And, you know, there's a lot of things that happen when, when a company like Whole Foods gets really big, you know, they, they have a lot of internal dynamics that they have to work out. The economy shifts, the priorities shift. There's price compression in the market. Other people are entering in. You know, Walmart's now selling lots of organic food. Right. Target, Trader Joe's, Thrive Market. You know, there's a lot of different. You know, a lot of different people that working to solve the problem, and so they're they're forced to have to reevaluate how they do their margin structure. You know, what does that mean for them? Which is you know, which is why you can see. You know they're launching a 365 store, and that's targeted towards millennials, and it has some product curation, and you know they're trying to make the products less expensive. You know, so that you know, oh, they are. What what's the 365 store? They're launching a network of new stores that's called uh-huh. 365 by Whole Foods, which is oh. which is you know exactly that. Instead of seven, that's their brand, right? It'll be the new brand that's focused. It's a new new retail concept for them. Oh, and and when are they launching that? Uh, I think I think the I think it's going to launch next year. Um, huh. I mean, it, you know, again, it takes a long time to do that, right? Like, you know, yeah. like uh, you know, to, to l- launching brick and mortar retail locations is a is a long, slow, capital expensive process. But yeah. it just shows you that you know people are responding to it. Um, and I think I think there's a lot of you know there's a lot of challenges, uh, whether it's Whole Foods or it's Trader Joe's. Uh, or even Thrive Market. Like, how do you deal with, you know, like for us, we've made a really important, for us, we've made what we feel is a very important decision right from day one, 
that we're only going to carry foods that are free of GMOs. Like that's just, that's the bottom line for us. Like we're the largest retailer in the country at this point offering foods that are free of GMOs. And that's for us, we feel like the jury is still out. We don't know enough about GMOs. We don't know what the implications are. We don't want to buy food, you know, that has been, you know, genetically engineered to withstand glyphosate and other types of toxic chemicals, which, you know, um, which, you know, you know, while the food may be able to withstand that, it's still likely entering into our bodies. So we don't sure. we don't want to participate in that. And so, you know, I think I think that's a dynamic tension that a lot of retailers face. Like, where do they draw the lines in the sand, and what does that mean to them, and how do they approach it, and you know, what are the what are the what are the costs of that? And, and I think you know, I think that's a conversation that, quite frankly, most companies are having today. Every company yeah. has to have that conversation. I mean, you saw Chipotle just came out saying that they're not going to sell GMO free. They're going to sell everything GMO free. And, yeah. and, you know, like you saw, I think the, their, their stock price went up after that. I followed them on my ticker. Um, and it's actually a good on, question. I, I'm curious. That. I'd be curious yeah. to see if that actually, I know that they got heavily attacked in the media. Uh, oh, yeah. and it was interesting to see how the media viewed that. Conversation. CMG. Whoa. Yeah, dude, that went skyrocket. It looks like, uh, as soon as that, that was probably like, what, a week ago, a month ago, no more than that. It was, a, it was like, a, it was like, a yeah, maybe six weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, it looks like they had a big spike. Yeah, they're killing it right now. They're at 620. Anyway, I don't want to bore the listeners with uh, <laughs> stock prices and investment stuff. Netflix is splitting 7 to 1. Woo! Um, anyway, uh, so back to GMOs. Like, that's a really fascinating thing you bring up because it's got, again, a hot button issue. Yeah, yeah. Tons of people talking about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And there's all these pros and cons. And, I mean, people seem to have formed an opinion on it. And so, one way or the other, when you talk to someone, it's their opinion versus yours if you don't agree. Yeah. And uh, it seems to be one of the topics that has the most confirmation bias around it. Right. Basically meaning, you know, if you believe that GMOs are bad, you research everything of why they're bad and you have your five bullet points, you know, uh, w- with all that stuff. And then if you think they're good, you research five bullet points of why they're good and the other guys are crazy and you, you just go at it with the people you don't agree with. Um, so uh, do you take more of like a level-headed approach? Have you weighed the co- pros and cons? Do you see any pros that people might not be seeing? Do you see any cons that are really bad? Like, I guess, where do you stand on that spectrum? Well, I mean, we, we as a business, we've made the most definitive statement as the largest retail in the country offering food free of GMOs. So that's, that's pretty clear. Like other businesses or other retailers are talking about doing it in the future, um, you know, we've done it today. So that, 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 I think that's, you know, actions speak louder than words. You know, we've made a clear decision as a business that we are not going to participate and we are not going to carry foods that have GMOs period. End of story. Now, obviously I think what about like, like products too? Products are actually really, so you mean like beauty care or things like that? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. That's actually a really interesting point. It's really, really hard, um, on, on beauty care products. And the re the reason is, is you've got, you know, very complex supply chains, and it's actually really, really, really hard to get full traceability on that. So we're, you know, that's a that's a huge area. When you talk to like the non-GMO project, you talk to you know Project Verified. You know, there that's a really big challenge, and mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a hard place. The the truth is that ninety nine percent of the activity is happening on food, the food side, you know, when you talk about GMOs, I think, I think there's, I think the jury is out, right? I think there's, I think there are, you know, there's clearly, you know, case studies where, you know, you've got varieties of food 
uh, food plants that have been engineered, say in Africa, that are need less water they, and they grow faster. You know that you know that could be very promising. You know the, those types of things. I, you know I think I think I think there's some real dangers associated with GMO engineering. You know we're 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 playing with things that can go wrong very quickly at very big scale. And you know you look at say the way that uh, GMO engineered soy or corn and the way that you've got you know uh, pollen that blows across farms and you know what happens if a strain of some new engineered product that we think is safe actually isn't safe and it causes some you know critical critical failure in either the local ecosystem or causes a critical failure in our own bodies in a way that we we just don't understand this stuff is also new it often takes us 20 years before we start to see the real impacts of the decisions that we're making you know you look at you look at the evolutionary cycles you know, we're talking about 4 billion years on the planet and it, yeah. you know, you don't really see, you know, just in terms of the way things happen, things, things don't shift very quickly in terms of evolutionary development. It's over, you know, 10,000 years, you start to see normal evolutionary changes. And we're now in a, in, in, a, in these really short time frames where you see these rapid changes. And so, you know, we're confronted with a lot of challenges as a result of that. Sure. And so with, you know, GMOs being so prevalent, you know, all pretty much all soy, all corn is all GMO'd and there's a lot of stuff in things like the products you were just talking about, even though you make the active effort to carry non-GMO products at your stand, still at the end of the day, they creep up in things like products that we might not think have GMOs in them. I mean, I don't know if the ones you sell do. Again, it's hard to trace, but that's kind of the point is like they're so out there right now. They're in everything. Is it really realistic that we can get rid of gmos or are they just so ingrained at this point it's kind of a lost cause well no i, I think the Congress, the debate is still very very open i mean i think i think that um you know there's going to be work that is done on gmos just because there's too much money behind it um there's it's just gonna you know exactly how that happens um i think that's you know tbd the the, the i think the most important thing though is for for us to be able to get labeling we need to know if something has gmos in it period so i think you know the 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 efforts by the new elected representatives of congress to 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 block the ability for states to pass labeling laws yeah that's that's really insidious to me and the reason that they're doing that the reason they're trying to block you know, the ability for states to pass labeling laws the way that Vermont just did and the way that Oregon almost did within a thousand votes. You know, the reason that they're doing that is because they know that GMO labeling ballot initiatives are going to go the same way that gay marriage and medical marijuana has. Like the states will prevail. People that are passionate about it will prevail on this yeah. issue and it will build critical mass. And, it, and, 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 you know, they know that they can control Congress through lots of money. And so if they can ban labeling at the state level, they feel like they're going to be able to keep that conversation and control the debate. Sure. And it gain, gains a lot of traction, too, at the state level. And that's where change seems to happen. And, right. and they go against it's it. Local, local, uh, local up. To me, it's insidious, though, like how people corporations rather will spend millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars saying that we can't have GMO labels because we're going to lose money. It's going to kill our profits. It's going to take away from us. You don't know how hard that'll be on us. 
But then you're like, wait, you just spent millions of dollars trying to of profit that you could have been using for elsewhere. So obviously you have money to go against it. It's not really going to affect you that much. I think Coca-Cola was one of the biggest donators or something um, in the last one. You know, there was that, was it 522 in Washington State that didn't pass or something? And I had a lot of problems. It was like a poorly written bill. And so I see it. And um, but yeah, it is fascinating when you follow the money behind who's backing the anti-labeling movements and realize there's alternative motives besides it'll kill our profits. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's it's also uh, you know you've got major multinational food supply companies, you know, that are like they're in Europe, for example, a lot of the products are free of GMOs from these same companies, but then they turn around and they sell very, very similar products to U.S. consumers with GMOs. And they say that it's going to be difficult for them to do and it's going to cost more money. It's just, yeah. it's just a bunch of BS. I mean, that's the, that's the truth of the matter, right? It's just a bunch of pure BS. And, you know, what's really, really important is it just goes back to we have to vote with our dollars. It's that simple. We vote with our dollars and, you know, the, the companies that are doing organic foods, are doing, you know, GMO-free foods, are doing grass-fed foods. Like, these companies are all booming right now. You look at Coca-Cola stock, it's collapsing. You look at McDonald's stock, it's collapsing. Let's pull those up in the ticker. That's that's why, you know, the reason that that's happening is because there's this huge secular trend now where people are voting with their dollars, and they're voting for their self-interest, and there's an awakening and awareness that's happening around, I'm going to either feed my body you know, toxic sugar, uh, and pass, you know, preservatives, or I'm gonna, you know, I'm, or I'm gonna feed it something wholesome. And, and that's just, that's a simple yeah. decision that's driven largely by self-interest. And that's, a, that's a good thing. It's really hard. I mean, I've been playing devil's advocate this call. I'm a huge supporter of non-GMO, obviously. Um, I, I love the organic movement and voting with your dollars and all that, but it is hard, like being a level-headed person trying to really, not just buy into it because it's new or like I'm anti-GMO just because that's that's hip, but to really try and research it because you can't find unbiased research out there. And that's one of the things that's pissed me off the most, like really trying to research GMOs because one of two things happen. The research that say it's okay and safe, well, it's funded by the people who want it to be okay and safe and it's you know completely biased. And then the research that says otherwise is really inconclusive because we haven't had them here for long enough to see the long-term effects of GMOs. So it's something you almost have to go on, on on faith alone and say, okay, am I willing to risk it 20 years down the road? I'm like, no, I don't want to be a part of that experiment. That's why I've chose to go the non-GMO route. But it is it is frustrating that research isn't out there as much as it'd like to be. Have you seen any yeah, sort yeah, of studies I mean, I that have been convincing? First of all, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, there's a lot of confirmation bias. I think I think in terms of the health and wellness movement, I think probably the GMO conversation is probably the most polarizing conversation that has ha- happens. Um, it's probably much more so than the paleo versus vegan conversation um, in terms of like the impact and the way that that plays out across uh, across the country. I think I think there is some real there is data that is coming out showing that um, say you know glyphosate you know the, the the World Health Organization came out with a study a few months ago showing that there is, for the first time, a very likely probable link between glyphosate consumption and car- carcinogen ca- cancer. And that, that was, uh, that's probably the most trusted, respected, 
international body of scientists. Who did that? That's the World Health Organization, WHO. I mean, this is is a huge, huge organization. They came out definitively saying that they think that there is a very probable link between glyphosate and, and cancer. And and that that really is you know and glyphosate is important. is that is that in GMOs glyphosate yeah, so, so, so here's the deal so you've got you know like Monsanto and you have uh, you have uh, you know Roundup is sprayed on GMO crops so that it kills weeds so what they want to do is they basically carpet bomb these you know huge mono agriculture farms. Right. You know, soy, corn, whatever it is that they're doing, they carpet bomb it with glyphosate and it kills the weeds and they engineer the plants so that they can withstand the carpet bombing of the glyphosate. Mm-hmm. So the plants okay. are engineered to be able to withstand the glyphosate, but it doesn't mean that the plants aren't still absorbing the glyphosate. And it yeah. doesn't mean that human beings who eat those foods later on in, in the whatever various forms that they show up in the food supply aren't absorbing glyphosate. And there's a clear link now that the WHO has come out with that shows that, you know, glyphosate is likely a probable cause of cancer. I think I think that that's not actually a direct that's not directly about GMOs. Like I think the actual to your point, there's actually, you know, there's there isn't a lot of data that I've seen that distinctly incredibly shows that genetically engineered food is is necessarily dangerous um what and and i could be completely wrong on that but what i have seen is data that suggests the processes used to grow gmo foods very very likely inserts chemicals and pesticides into our into our bodies Glyphosate it sounds like a bad metal band from that's the right. 80s. That's right, glyphosate. Coming to yeah, come to your town near you. All right, man. Hey, I just checked the time. Um, it's it's nine o'clock. Awesome. So and I know we both got calls hey, and it's stuff. Great, to do. It's great. So great I'm kicking I'm kicking you off my show, man. Get All out right. of here. I, 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 no. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to go talk to my therapist for a few objected. That's right, man. Hey, uh, Gennar, Before I let you go, why don't you tell the listeners um, about Thrive Market if they didn't hear it already and how they can find out more about that? Yeah. So you know, ThriveMarket.com. Access your favorite health food products online that you would normally get at a health food retail location, 25 to 50% off, ship nationally for free. Uh, you know, we need your help. We're growing very, very quickly. We're part of a larger movement to make healthy living accessible to everybody. And this is a group effort and uh, really appreciate your support. And uh, we're, we're happy to be on the show. Awesome, Gunnar. Uh, Thanks, man. Thanks, man.